0: Blog Talk Radio <laughs>
1: And Dan's your host, and I am so delighted to welcome you all back today um, after quite a wonderful week of shows where we've had just some time together at night that we have shared. And then today, as I have been telling you all week, we are just looking forward to talking to a guest that I'm about to bring on the line in just a moment. Gail Rex is going to be with us today. And let me tell you a little bit about Gail. As my listeners know, I spend a great deal of time in the Pacific Northwest um, exploring and appreciating um, and communing with the Earth, and that has become a part of my practice, and it is a part of my daily life. And So Gail's book very much touched my heart. Her new book is called Earth Acupuncture, Healing the Living Landscape. And Gail talks about a vision that she had of a nuclear power plant near her home on the Hudson River and how she was guided into a remarkable relationship with the land using what she had learned through Chinese medicine, using the innate knowing, the, um, the connection, the intuitive connection to Native American shamanism and also her knowledge of that as well. And Gail is an active acupuncturist. She's an author. She's an editor. She lives in Vermont. She is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and the Tri-State College of Acupuncture. She has a previous book, Wood Becomes Water, Chinese Medicine in Everyday Life, and today we're really going to talk about how the earth is alive, and we have talked about this before, and it's a wonderful way to guide us into next week, which is Earth Day, although I would remind you Every day is Earth Day, and Gail will teach us that as well. And so I am just so delighted to bring Gail Rex on the line. Welcome, Gail. Hi, Susan. It's great to be here. Oh, well, I am just so happy to be talking with you. And I will tell you right at the outset, I relate very personally to your story, not only because of my relationship with the earth, um, but also because I grew up in Colorado um, near something called Rocky Flats, um, all of us who lived in that area, which also was known for contaminating the land. And so as I was reading your account i couldn't help but think about you know and so many of us live in areas in fact now i live in oregon which also has its um its issues that have been discussed and so i think no matter where we are in this show reaches people internationally even to japan and by the way my heart goes out to those of you in japan i hear that there was an earthquake another one in southern japan over 6.0 i think it was 6.4 something like that and so you know we're all dealing with this and what about the ocean in fukushima so there is so much that you have to say here that touches us no matter where we are so thank you
0: well thank you um it's great to be on the show
1: well, as we launch into this, scale, um, I think it would be best for you to just tell us, how did this happen? Well, first, tell us about who you were when this first came about. What What was your training? What were you doing at the time? And then how did this vision that you had come about? Okay.
0: Well, when this all began, I had already been an acupuncturist for about, uh, nine years, and I had a. I was in practice in mm-hmm. upstate New York, and I was also an active meditator with a solid daily practice. So I was uh, very used to tuning in with the greater intelligence around me. Yes. Yeah. However, I was not used to having actual visions where. Yeah things that I wasn't seeking came to my mind. Yeah. Um, so it was quite a surprise when I was sitting at a meditation seminar one day, and I began to see images in my mind that I, that were unrelated to what I had actually been consciously thinking about at the time. So I, what I began to see was this stretch of the Hudson River that was near my home, this yes. kind of zigzag part of the river and I, I saw it from a very high angle like a bird's eye view and then i saw the nuclear power plant that sits there and out of it was coming this uh like volcanic red orange fiery fingers that that stretched into the river and into the river bed beneath and it was like looking at a wound Yes. And I understood that I was, in fact, looking at a wound, and the river was showing me that it was wounded from this power plant. And then I heard this voice that said, what you are given to see, you can heal. Work yes. with the hills. And yes. then it was all done, and I was back in the room in this meditation seminar, shaking, thinking, what just happened to me? Uh uh-huh. um, But... I decided that um, either I was going crazy
1: or (laughs) I
0: had been sent an actual message from the river. And I I thought, well, if I'm going crazy, I will find out soon enough because things like this will keep happening. If I have been sent an actual message from the landscape, the river, which is dear to me, I want to acknowledge it. Yeah. And see what happens. So that's what I did. I went to the river the next day when I was back in New York. And I went to the river. I made an offering and I made a prayer. And I said, River, I I heard this message. And I promise to be open to helping you in whatever ways I can.
1: Yes. Yes. What a what a sacred bond, and you know, I, I, there's something I want to mention here because this keeps coming up, and this is something you may find interesting, Gail, because it's a commonality. And I've talked to a lot of speakers and authors on this show over the years, as well as having had an experience myself. And there was something about the energy around 2002 to 2003 that seems to have opened up a great many people. And I can't quite put my finger... You know, I almost want to do an analysis of this because I have had person after person come on this show and tell me something unusual happened. And and actually, something unusual happened to me during that period. In fact, exactly when you had your vision, I was having something that led to my own spiritual emergence. And so... I don't know How what it means, and, and also part of my experience was feeling a oneness with the earth. It wasn't, you know, I didn't feel like you did, but it was the earth figured into my experience, and at the time I wasn't as open. So I just want to mention this because I don't know what the energy was, but could it be that the earth itself was reaching out to us? I, I I really wonder, more than one of us at once. I mean, it's the earth. It can do this. It
0: can do <laughs> and we this all thought absolutely. we were going crazy for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I do think there are times when, you know, the lines are just more open, whatever yeah. that could be. Perhaps, you know, someone who's an astrologer would have an astrological um, understanding and explanation for why that would be. Perhaps um, someone who's a geologist or even a, you know, astrophysicist might have a different explanation. But it does seem that there are times when either people are more open, or just the yeah. windows between the beings are more open.
1: Yes, and, I, I, you know, I have to put this in just very quickly because I will tell you that my own experience, which I reported um, to people at the time, was feeling the earth, feeling it, and, and actually feeling ill, very similar to what what you talk about, where you really kind of bring it into yourself in a way. I mean, that, and that seems to be the report of what you talk about, although you, as a trained healer, you were able to do something with this information, and you heard it in, in a very direct way. And so I think that is wonderful. And so I want to lead more into this. Um, I will tell you, I'm not an expert in acupuncture, although I'll tell you, the more I read about it and what it's done for various listeners and spe- and people who've been on this show, I am so intrigued by it. And your book opens us up to that as well. I invite the listeners to be open To just how it teaches us about how acupuncture works. So one of the things you talk about at the outset is taking the pulse of the earth. And for those of us who really aren't that knowledgeable about acupuncture, you do a beautiful job of explaining that what it means within that modality. So if you could tell us how how did you take
0: the pulse of the earth? Well, let me first. I'll tell you how I take the pulse of a person. Uh, Yeah. A very um, old part of Chinese medicine. It's a diagnostic system where you put your fingers, uh, most commonly now we put them on people's wrists and listen to the radial pulse. There are other pulse systems within Chinese medicine that listen to a carotid pulse or a few different pulses at the same time, but the system that I learned and that as most current now is to listen to the radial pulse on the wrist. and So uh-huh. you put three fingers on the radial pulse of the wrist, which is the one that run, runs right down from your thumb or into your thumb from your heart. Yes. Yeah. And each of those three fingers, if you know what you're doing, if you've studied this, will feel something slightly different, different on the left hand, different on the right hand, and different under each finger. And there's even systems where at different depths you will feel different things, and this tells you an enormous amount about that person's physiological functioning, what's yeah. working, what's not working, what's stuck, what's not stuck. So when I, um, it had been suggested to me that I could feel the pulses of the earth, that was my model. And I had a system for identifying where my fingers would go, where I would listen to the pulse, where this pulse might be found. So I had the, a system of that had been recommended to me of fi- listening to a pulse three miles and six miles and nine miles away from the power plant. So this would be like my three fingers. So yeah. I... I Identified certain spots. I wanted them near water and in public space so that I could actually get there and near water so that there was something that was moving there that I could relate to. And I sort of expected that I would feel a pulse. Um, But in fact, I didn't. Um, Mostly what I did was have more kind of visions um that it took me a few minutes to realize that oh this is a kind of a pulse it's a visual pulse for me right now it's not a drum beat it's not a uh it's not a rhythm but it is a visual note that i could distill and understand as a pulse so yeah. this one is weak and thready like a pulse. This one is founding and superficial like a pulse. So I began to um, relate to what I was seeing in my mind's eye, and then I would translate that into the pulse terms that I knew. Yes. You know, something I want
1: to incorporate into this, because I felt that it was very beautiful, um, and again, not totally, I'm just so intrigued by what, What you're sharing, you know, your book, Gail, has a dual purpose because you really are sharing with us the beauty of Chinese medicine. And I think many of us perhaps haven't been exposed to that. And there's something that you said about asking and listening, giving and receiving, and how you said to the the river, river, are you in pain? I love that. It, in fact, it makes me feel emotional, as, as if I can feel it. I can, you know, just mm-hmm. in that question, um, uh, treating the earth, the river, as sentient. I, I can't mm-hmm. emphasize that more, how you, you completely accepted this river and this expression of our planet as a living, feeling entity.
0: I did, and that part, the river itself, that came naturally to me. I love yeah. that river. I lived close yeah. by to it, and it, the I mean, I think all rivers have their, their unique beauties, like individual people, and the, the Hudson just has always really spoken to me with its beauty, yeah. and so yeah. I found that I did already think of it as a being, in a way. Yes. So the the kind of assignment to help it heal didn't itself seem strange to me. What did shock me as I began to do this work, what really, really surprised me is that the whole landscape seemed to respond like a living being. It wasn't just the river. It was the mountains. It was the dirt. It was the very air that was answering back to my questions. And I can't tell you how much this shocked me because I had always thought that this was a metaphor. When people yeah. say the earth is alive or the earth is our <laughs> mother, or the being. Yes. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But. The more I be, did this work, the more it became exactly like the human beings that I work with every day in my practice. I mean, the, yeah. the language was different because the Earth doesn't speak English, but the the patterns of relationship and the things that I was learning were so similar that it ceased to be a metaphor for me and just became a literal fact. Yes, yes. You know,
1: just for listeners who um, may never have seen this river, this is the river many of us are familiar with, The Last of the Mohicans and that story. And so many, you know, anyone who's studied, and you talk about the history of the river and how it changed and um there's there's a part where you talk about um oh I, I wrote this quote down. The land felt resigned to being used. That's a quote and and how it was like the whore with a heart of gold, um, as if you know and, and this I'm sure can apply to to all of the earth. But yes, those who don't know this river, you know, maybe we think of it as being polluted um, now, because we think of it being very industrial or, you know, having, I, I've i personally led a very simple life and haven't traveled everywhere like to the east. I've been in the west a good portion of my life I've been different places, but not there. And so I think of last of the Mohicans. And part of your experience with this river, Gail, is you talk about this old woman in a rocking chair and how it relates to time and the river. And I wonder if you can help us to to
0: understand
1: the river even more over time through that image you were given and how
0: it came to you. Yeah, that image was the very first pulse that I took of the river. And I had identified the spot and was sitting there, as I mentioned, waiting waiting to hear something or to feel a yeah. beat. But it, instead, what I saw was this vision of this tiny, very frail, old, brown-skinned woman in this rather large-for-her-body rocking chair was kind of creaking back and forth, back yeah. and forth. And I saw this woman as she was remembering her life, remembering being a young child running by the riverside and laughing and watched her grow older and saw then her mothers and grandmothers behind her, children and grandchildren in front of her. And I understood that this woman really was in many ways like the river ebbing back and forth with the tides the hudson is a tidal river so the the tides from the atlantic ocean actually wash up the river twice a day at high tide and then the it changes the whole current so then the current's running upstream and then twice a day tide changes and the river runs downstream um Uh And so that ebb and flow was just like this rocking chair and this, um, but this weakness, this had been going on for so long. And millennia ago and even up till just probably 500 years ago, maybe 800 years ago, this is what the river did. And as people began to populate that region, the native peoples worked and lived in harmony with that ebb and flow of the river. And it was a being to them that fed them and nourished them and transported them. And um, then as the Europeans began to settle there uh, for them, the river became really a vehicle. Um, It was a, a place of resources, fish that they could take and um, a place that could take all their litter, you know, they could dump their trash into the river and as they began to build tanneries and other kinds of brickworks and forges along the river, then they would dump the effluent from those factories into the river and it was the place of the very first steamboat Uh, voyage, Uh so it was kind of, in many ways, the birth of the Industrial Revolution, and thereafter, belching smokestacks and the Erie Canal connected that river to the west, so then there was a bunch of industry and the railroads going back and forth, and, you know, over time, this river became just a conduit for the people's stuff. Yeah. no longer a being in its own right. And um, I can't help but feel sad about that yeah, truth. Uh, it it I and, feel it
1: too. I feel it about multiple rivers, Gail, as you yeah, as other rivers I have known, you know, and and even where I am now, I'm by the, the Great Columbia and and its tributaries. Every day Um, Mm -hmm. i mean often i see rivers here where i'm at and one is very polluted actually a smaller one i mean i think we can all relate to this and how it generalizes to 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 the land near us yes we know of your river there's a there's a ancestral wisdom of your river in particular and i think that I really do believe the tale of the Mohicans, for one, has carried that that river to many of us, and we do hold it dear. And we feel it's as if that whole tale is symbolic of the river too. The last of the <laughs> it, it is. It's so sad. It is it's the same thing. But we can revive it. It's the key. We can revive this earth, and that's that's where we need to to um turn it around here and that's what I love about what you share. Um now one thing again as I'm learning as I go along about Chinese medicine and finding this just so interesting. I, I know that, that many of us are called in different ways to new things and this is how spirit works in unusual ways. And I find it very interesting. Talk about the different organs of the body and you map those to the river, and I wonder if we could step through some of that because I find it fascinating um for example, the kidneys how you how you map that to the river and 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 we can work
0: through different organs and how they um how they relate okay, we can it's a little there's a lot of Chinese medicine theory in there, so uh-huh um, you'll well you need you chain it interruptively. So Oh, and, and you know
1: what? I'll even help you, um, because I'll tell you what jumped out at me, and then I'll let you okay. reflect on these, um, what I saw. Um, for example, I'll, I'll go right for my notes, which are simple. The kidneys. I wrote down, sense of purpose, will to fulfill destiny, yin and yang. So work with that for us. Those are, those are real easy-to-approach
0: concepts. And the, and the kidney. So in Chinese medicine, um, the different organs are responsible for many different functions in the body, mind, spirit of the person. So uh, the kidneys themselves are, um, we say that they contain the ancestral energies that each of us comes into the world with. So um, the Kidneys carry this energy from our past. And some will say maybe it's the DNA, or mm-hmm. it's the um, the the moving energy between the two kidneys that gives rise to the DNA. And so the there are two kidneys, and in most systems of Chinese medicine, we look at kidneys as uh, a yin kidney and a yang kidney. They're Together, they are a complement pair, but they each symbolize this great duality of yin and yang that is kind of at the heart of Chinese thought, which is – so the the yang part is the effervescent, energetic, out-moving, outward-going growth factor – And the yin is the consolidating, restorative, resting, quieting, meditative factor. And um, so what I found when I was taking my pulses is that, in fact, one of the pulses, that old lady pulse that I talked about, was a really good kidney the impulse um, she it was contemplative it contained those ancestral energies the, the whole sense of past and the which is related to to the future it's the destiny it's what does this one being what is the part that this one being is going to play in the continuum from past into future so uh-huh. that's what we look at in the Kidneys yeah and the the kidney young is what we call the the life gate the, it's the it's the, where life bursts forth and and bursts into being,
1: and so yes. the
0: kidney young was another pulse where i was at this uh a bird sanctuary where there are it's just this home to hundreds of different species that, over, that give birth there and uh, it's one of the incredibly fertile places on this estuary portion of the Hudson. So it is literally a life gate, the gate into life for uh, yes. dozens of species. So just in that simple parallel, kidney yin and kidney yang, the ancestral energy and the life gate fire bursting forth and again I, it was amazing to me that these things should be so true for the land as they are in person I had kind of according to the system I made up decided that this spot would be kidney in and this spot would be kidney off but it was very yeah. surprising to me when their actual characteristics reflected Actual kidney in and kidney on characteristics as well. Yes,
1: yes, yes. It's amazing you were able to make that um, that leap. And I guess for you it was very intuitive and natural. And it, it's just such a such a perfect mapping of of the energy. And so, what about the liver? I wrote down flooding. Um, <laughs> oh, also, I wrote down at one point a tired river. I guess um, maybe coming from the kidneys, a tired river. Yeah. But, um, how did the liver relate to flooding? Because that's a note that I wrote down. Tell us about the liver and what it
0: it means. Okay, so I had so I had drawn on a map. I had drawn these circles at three miles, yeah. six miles, and nine miles away. So I had. And mapped with a pencil, okay, this is going to be the three-mile point on the left side. This is going to be the three-mile point on the right side. This is going to be the six-mile point. This is going to be that. So that's not a map. And I would go and find them. And so when I was going to the, the six-mile point, and this is the point that corresponds to the liver, um, and I went to the spot, And um, it was this very long uh, parking lot. It was this very long, narrow park. And I stepped down into the riverbed and stood next to a tree and closed my eyes. And there was just, the river was rushing all around me. And... um, It actually, I had to open my eyes again because I got scared on some visceral level that the river was rushing too much and that it was going to soak me. So I had to open my eyes and check. No, in fact, I was on perfectly good dry land. The river was kind of fast, but it was fine. Close my eyes again. Again, I see this image of a flood coming through. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? I mean, this river is busy but I keep seeing this flood in my mind and then I open my eyes and I look at it and I can see aspects of this energy, this overflow flooding energy um, and, but in fact it was kind of disturbing, I just didn't feel safe there so I scurried out of there after a few minutes and then I was realizing this was the liver pulse, well in fact a flooding pulse is a common characteristic of a liver pulse in Chinese medicine, the liver gets very easily overloaded and stagnated with toxins or excesses of emotions or even excesses of food. And so it makes a liver pulse often very large compared to the surrounding pulses and uh-huh. Uh-huh. and kind of bounding, we call it, is one of of the qualities. And so, again, I I just had to scratch my head. Like, how is it that this spot that I decided was going to be the liver, how is it that its most salient characteristic is, in fact, just like a liver pulse in a person?
1: Yes, yes. You know, as you're talking and as you speak in your book as well, I can't help but seeing. You know, this, this concept of flow is so important in in the the form of medicine that you use, and and how how wonderfully applicable that is to the land and the river, and and just this um this concept of flow. And I'm not sure which organ it is. I'm sure we'll get to it. Where at some point you talk about stagnant energy a stagnant pool that that you you come across and how stagnant energy is always so meaningful when you're working with a person and and how how that was important in working with the river in observing that and how you compare that at one point to a pool that isn't really stagnant it's gently gently flowing and and there's a
0: difference in, in how you observe these, these different areas of the river. Yeah, well, stagnancy is, um, so that is a lack of movement. In Chinese medicine, uh, movement is kind of equated with life, right? When yeah. things are alive, they are changing. Yeah. And if things are stagnating, there's uh, less opportunity for positive growth. So the and the liver is one of the main organs that stagnates most easily in Chinese medicine because it is responsible for smooth flow in general. So if it is weakened or compromised or overloaded, then often it creates stagnancy. There what I noticed about the Hudson near the nuclear power plant is that it is entirely Stagnant right there It's hard to describe in words um, to, to people who don't know the river But I'll see if I can lay it out for you So the Hudson is 315 miles long It's a long river But yes. there is a portion of it That is um, of Kind of narrow canyons It's hemmed in by Well what we call in the east mountains But to westerners You know their little hills um, but there's well, the Hudson Highlands, there are these mountains that um, through which the river runs in a gap, and when the river through those highlands uh, runs fast and deep because it's narrow and the current is strong because there's no place for the water to go. Yeah. Uh, but then so the water comes crashing through these highlands. And then, right where the highlands end, where the the river bottom evidently goes down deeper than it was in the canyon, and the landscape widens out, and the, the mountains stop, and so it's flatter and um, so the water comes rushing down through the highlands and kind of pours into this big pool, where at the same time, there's tides coming up from the south from the Atlantic Ocean and there's another big zigzag turn in the river about three miles down where the tides um, kind of slow down because the river turns and so the tides are pushing upward but they are pushing upward with somewhat less force. They push into this big pool and then they kind of slow down. So you have stuff coming in to this pool and not a lot of stuff leaving. Yeah. And this is right where that power plant sits is on this pool. And I had read one statistic uh, from a geologist who studied the river who estimated that it would take something like, I think he said 125 days for a log to float down the river from uh-huh. I think it was Albany Troy to New York Harbor because of the meandering pace of the river yes. given the tides that come up and go down and so 125 days is a long time for something on a river
1: yes and and truthfully those of us in coastal areas can relate to this and because this phenomenon happens um fairly often um, in different locales and so it's interesting that in your area that it just happens to be where that very toxic plant is that um, that this phenomenon is occurring where where the tide meets the flow and and what a symbol for for life in general how how there can be resistance you know that symbol of, of resistance coming in and then causing that Place of, of stillness, even which can be viewed positively or negatively, stagnancy right. and
0: still. Yeah. And so when right when the toxins are pouring out of that power plant, they sort of just accumulate there. There's not yeah. really too many places for them to go. Yeah. So then, once I saw that, I began to understand why the river had showed me that part. That is yes. the part. It's like a sore that doesn't heal.
1: Yes. Let's talk about the spleen. I am fascinated by this concept. You know, there's an organ that most of us don't know a whole lot about, although we know that when it's injured, that is a very you know, you always hear if someone's spleen is injured in an accident, that's a very serious thing. And how it's it has to do with transformation. Um and I find that um and also um caring and worry. Um, that if you're if you're worrying in an imbalanced way, somehow that's related to the spleen. How did you apply that to the river?
0: Um, well, in uh, in Chinese medicine the spleen plays a, a very large role, right? In Western yeah. medicine we it's true, we don't think of it that often, but it well, Chinese until medicine Until it's injured, it, yeah. Until it's <laughs> yeah. injured, yeah. <laughs> In Chinese medicine, it's considered the main digestion organ, and it's the Uh official of transformation and transportation, meaning that the food that goes into your stomach, it is the spleen's energy that um, transforms that food into various grades of qi, of energy, and then moves it around through the body to the places where it needs to go to mix with other kinds of chi that, for instance, the air you breathe in or your ancestral energy in your kidneys. So the spleen is a another main source of where we get our chi from. It gets it from food. And uh, on the river, the spleen pulse point was um, just this beautiful. rivulet that I um, just seemed like a cheery little stream in the middle of absolutely nowhere yeah. and um, but it had this very um uh, it seemed to be running a little too fast yeah. um, and um, in Chinese medicine it's a very common characteristic of a spleen pulse, we say that it's slippery when it's a little sort of, mm, well, mucusy for lack of a better word. Or One of my teachers said like pearls in a dish of snot. It's like this very uh, uh, semi-solid rush that goes by your fingers and that's sort of what the river felt like at that point. And the the characteristics of the spleen in Chinese medicine, in addition to doing the digestion and the transportation, it, um, it symbolizes on an emotional level attention and caring. It's that kind of yeah. surrounding other things and giving them space to be who they are. This is like archety- archetypal feminine energy, mother energy, is taken care of. But the spleen, when it's out of balance, Can lead to over caring and over worry, so Uh that sort of clinginess or intrusiveness or worry, over worry about the people that you care about. It's a kind of like food over ripens, right? It's ripening is good. Yeah. But good. not over. Too yeah. right. Too much, you get rotting and you get right. Yeah. Putrefaction. So Yeah. Um the the spleen pulse that I found, it wasn't really it wasn't putrefying, it wasn't r- rotting, but it was definitely um transporting things a little quickly. It was not completely um stable it felt
1: yes yes and i know at some point you you brought another person um to to partner with you in a way in exploring this river and and something he said had to do with joy which um oh there was this wonderful quote let's see if i if i had it um something about i think it was like maybe joy that that the the river had and this related to the heart that the heart is related to joy and um, i know we're going to run out of time this is such a uh, wonderful topic and you know the this, this show is going by so fast and people are certainly responding i uh, thank you blog talk radio i see that we're getting as high as number two on, under live Ooh. shows on the front page and so this is a topic that people are interested in and and it's wonderful. Okay, so there was a place where, you know, I made a note about the heart about being at peace with oneself, you know, the assessing the heart, how much at peace is this river with with itself
0: and or the earth. Yeah, and um so again, this is the Chinese medicine model of the heart which in addition to doing those um Specific tasks like pumping blood around and keeping the rhythm of the body. The heart, in Chinese medicine, we say houses the spirit. It um, it's, it helps us to um, relate to our spiritual selves, to uh, that light, to that light of spirit in other beings, and and it's a measure of how well, we are integrating into our spiritual truth. Yes. Because so, the and the heart pulse, um, I see we are running out of time, but I just will say that the heart pulse was pretty downtrodden. That was the whore with the heart of gold. Yes, yeah. uh, yes,
1: that's which, it which right sad. there. That's where I got that quote. Yes, and what a beautiful analogy that is um and and just this this feeling of of having been used and yet keeping that that um there's an innocence at the core there you know when you when you talk about that that image um as if it can never be taken away um no matter what we do it there is that gold at the center, mhm, yeah,
0: and um. I think that it was really at that pulse point, that heart point where I began to see the earth in this way, downtrodden, but also with that gold at the core that can't be taken away, that I really understood that um, for all the destruction that is happening, the remedies that we humans can offer are in some ways, very simple. I mean, in addition to the grand gestures of stopping the pollution and the destruction, but just to remember to respect the earth that we are living on to say thank you when we take something from the earth. when If we're gardening to make offerings to the earth, thank you for nourishing these seeds and for giving us food and that those what what I said is that those simple rules are things we teach our children and we expect them to please before you take something you ask permission and you say thank you when you're done and that somehow those those so elemental rules of behavior we have forgotten to consider in our relationships with our planet but that this is easy. We can all do that. You can say a prayer of thanks when you drink pure water and eat your good food. You know what
1: I love about this? Yeah, you know, it makes it less abstract for us. You know, we're taught so often, um, oh, you know, you need to protect the earth. Maybe we're trying to teach our children or our grandchildren to honor the earth, although a lot of times they intuitively can feel it. Um, but it's this notion of of the giving and the receiving, and, and and the other thing that came to me just now when you think about the heart of gold is that this earth, even when we are using her badly, she still nurtures us, you know. And I would say we are loved by the years. I mean, we are a part of the years, inseparable. And and um, you know, there's that dichotomy. And that we can get back in partnership, like you say, the giving and the receiving.
0: Consciously. Yes. Yeah, and uh it feels much better when you do that. Yes. It feels much yes. better to balance. be in right relationship. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. And and maybe you can explore that even more, this notion of balance and how we find more balance ourselves when we when we treat the earth in in this way when we approach the earth in this way,
0: yeah, well, I think of it really it's it's right relationship it's um, it's simply respecting well the other and recognizing that the other is in fact a part of yourself and a reflection of yourself. But there is yeah. no separation. And so in the way that you, you can't have a good relationship with a human if you're just using them for whatever they yeah. can give you. Yes. But how that, how that relationship grows deep and mutually rewarding and helps you grow when you are in relationship with someone that you love and respect and honor and treat like a manifestation of the God that they are, or the Goddess yeah, that they are. Our Goddess, yes. And, and how much that enriches you when yes. you afford that honor to another. Yeah. And so we are—we're missing out, really, on yes. a on a great relationship when yes. we fail to honor the Earth.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And we hey. we have access to this.
1: Yes. What do you say, um, Gail, to people who, you know, maybe they're they're in New York City or, or somewhere very, um, well, I mean, everywhere you are, you can find a way to connect to the earth. And I guess that's the question is that it, there may be many listeners who just feel like their lives are so um, hectic and, um, you know, finding that place of peace where you can connect to the earth what do you suggest to people for healing their own sense of balance in that way
0: well the really the the best true way is to go outside just being with the earth not separated by the walls and the floors and the pavement is is the best way. And the more time you spend there, the more your uh, recognition will awaken. Yeah. And for people who live in cities, it is harder um, because everything is mediated. I mean, the sky is still there, but sometimes it can be smogged over and the earth can be hard to find if it's all paved over. Um, You can, there are still trees in most cities um and but you can go to a park I mean parks are still good, even if they're very kind of domesticated and manicured, they still have life, yes, um botanical gardens, larger cities will have those, or nurseries um, are really great places to go because people there are tending to life all the time,
1: yeah, um. Do you- do you feel that there's power, even in say you're in an apartment and you have a balcony, maybe or some place where you can even just plant a seed, plant some tomatoes or something in a pot. You know.
0: Absolutely. Uh huh. Um, and it's you know tomatoes or even a, a fern if you don't have a lot of light, if you don't have a balcony, but there yeah. are many plants that can thrive in low light conditions. You can get a little grow light. If you need to, um Yes, that's true. And and really I have even known people who really just didn't have a lifestyle where they could have a plant because they travel a lot, they could take care uh-huh. of it. They would get fake plants, beautiful fake plants and put them in their homes. And even that works as an effective reminder. That you know, like I'm finding we are, too
1: Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was, I was mention, say that we Go ahead. Yeah,
0: that we're on a living planet that's all we need yeah. to remember
1: yeah I, I just wanted to say something about the community gardens that are popping up all over the place right now and how i cannot help but apply your notion of giving and receiving there is just something too even if you think you don't have access to any kind of a garden letting the earth feed you and 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 nurturing a plant and having it give back i i and teaching a child that too i I find such beauty in that and balance and communion.
0: Yes, it is. We um, planted, started some seeds indoors. Vermont, you know, spring starts late around here.
1: So we yeah. planted
0: some seeds a week or two ago and they are just starting to burst through indoors. And it's it's a miracle. My son, who's six, rushed to those little Pots every day when he gets home from school nice. to see what new has sprouted. Yes, <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: Yes, I have wonderful childhood memories of that, and I think many of us do. And to propagate that with our own children and grandchildren is a wonderful thing. And and here we are at the end of the show. And what I do want people to know i have a link to your books both of your books actually on amazon but i wasn't sure if there's a particular link that you'd like me to include for you which i can certainly add to the show page and could you tell the listeners where they can if there's anywhere else they can find out more about you gail
0: sure i have a website that's gailrex.com. uh-huh i I am kind of still building some parts of it, so uh-huh. I look forward to putting more earth healing links on there. But there's a little bit about me and my acupuncture practice and my books for now. Um, there are there is a Facebook page, and for the recent book Earth Acupuncture, and um, I, I think those are probably the most important and the book is available at amazon and barnes and noble and most booksellers at this point so um it should be easily available
1: yeah well i'll be sure to add that those who are listening many people listen in the future they'll already see the link out there somehow when i searched for you i didn't see it and i probably could have found it but i'll um, make sure that's out on the page and those listening right now hear about it anyway so that's great and I am just so delighted you were here. And I will tell you, Gail, I find this so interesting. I would certainly welcome you back. In fact, your other book, which I know has been out a while, sounds very interesting as well, just how you connect us in a new way to, um, you know, I would be very curious in exploring more about Chinese medicine and, and, oh, no, and be understanding be that, that more.
0: I would love to do that.
1: Okay, well, you are certainly welcome to come back, and and we will talk about that. And thank you. Thank you from my heart. I have really enjoyed this conversation, and I look forward to exploring even more in this book and also your other book, Wood Becomes Water. Um, that sounds very interesting as well. So, so, yes, thank you from my heart, Gail. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a real joy.
1: Uh, All right. Well, you take care. Enjoy your afternoon, and I hope to talk to you soon.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: All right. right. Bye-bye. To the listeners, as the live show goes down here in just a minute, um, FrontierBeyondFear.com is the place to go to learn about this show, which is highlighted there and will be for some time, and, of course, will always be available in the archive. And if you are called to support the show in some way, I certainly appreciate that, whether energetically or in some other way. And FrontierBeyondFear.com will tell you how I am growing the Facebook presence of this show very gradually. And I invite you to go there and also to follow the show, which I always forget to tell people that there is a way. You have to get a login on Blog Talk Radio, but then you can follow a show and then you'll be notified. You'll get email announcements and things of the show. And then the Twitter page, which is very active. I am so thankful for the Twitter presence. Um, and today I interacted a little bit with um, Inner Traditions, just a wonderful publisher, and they do so many cool things, and we have multiple guests coming up from Inner Traditions, and I just love the various spiritual publishers that we work with here on this show because they're just radiating so much light in the world. So next show, by the way, with a guest is next Friday, And I have Susan B. Martinez coming back, who is an anthropologist, and we're going to talk about science and spirituality. And that one is going to be the 22nd on Earth Day, as a matter of fact, at 12 p.m. Pacific when this show often airs. But I'm liking this 9 a.m. time as well, Pacific, and we may move the show around. I always love to do that to find different segments of the audience. It works really well. So also look for the show at 7 p.m. Pacific. I may do more spontaneous shows coming up in the week ahead. So I appreciate those joining us for building bridges at night. So, again, thank you so much. I will see you next time. I hope you find a chance to get outside. It's stormy out here in the Pacific Northwest today. So I'm probably going to mostly get out in my garden and do some trimming instead of getting out. Um, I respect nature when it's stormy and branches can be falling and things, and and we listen to her heart. But um, no matter what it's doing in your area today, appreciate the earth. Feel her. She is alive. Thank you, everyone. See you next time.